You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. We made it through the darkness of our longing and lament into the sunrise of hope through the prayers of promise offered to us in the word. We continue the tradition of Advent by lighting the fourth candle, the anticipation candle. Just as the flame makes its way around the Advent circle, word of the Savior's birth has made its way among the people to a man named Simeon who's been waiting with great expectation. As we read the story of Simeon, we'll hear his prayer as a declaration of remembrance and praise that daybreak has come just as it was promised. Dawn is here with its revelatory light, and by it we will see our salvation in the glory of God and the promise of Christ. So we rejoice and pray alongside him as people waiting for an eternal light, not knowing when it will come, yet not growing weary in our anticipation of seeing our Savior come again. For you we wait, O Lord. I'm going to read Luke 2, verses 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a, prof- a, prophesit, a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Pray with me. God, thanks for your church. Thanks for uh, these people this morning. Thanks that we have the hope that Christ has come. We have the hope of the gospel, that in a very real way you have brought your kingdom uh, to this earth and that we get to live in light of that. And yet we know that your kingdom has not come in its fullness, and so we are still waiting. So may we wait patiently, may we wait expectantly for what you will do when Jesus comes back. May we be a people that reflect that hope to all the world, not just during this time, uh, but in all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can now have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here, and if you've only been here for the last couple weeks, you might not have known that. So, as I say all the time, uh, you're just stuck with me now, so here we are. A couple things real quick. One, World Cup finals match going on. No spoilers. 
I know, thanks for all of you fans out there that are here. And if you're watching on your phone, that's fine. Just make sure that your applause coordinates with some riveting line that I deliver at some point or whatever. So. Uh, for real, thanks for letting me get away for the last couple of weeks. I've been preaching at a couple other churches around here. And so I'm just super thankful. Uh, it's been said before that there's no place like home. But on a Sunday like this, I really feel that, and you are gifts to me and to this city and to one another, and my heart is full just to get to be with you. Again, I just want to pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thanks for the gift of your gathered people, and it shows up a thousand ways all across uh, this city, state, country, world. And it is a joy that we get to sit under your word together. We get to behold you and remind one another of our hope, remind one another of who we are apart from you, and remind one another of, of the grace that you give us, not because we deserve it, but because you're good. And we just thank you for that today. Would you just change the way that we wait on your future coming because of the promise and fulfillment that we read about time and time again through your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Amen. <clears throat> so I am, I'm not very good at waiting on, on things. Like if, if Kim and I are watching a movie or a show, um, I can barely wait until the end of the movie. Like I just, you know, like I, it's just tough for me just, just to, I just, I just want to, I, I want to get to the end. And I would have no what, know what happened, right? And, and so that shows up, Kim would, you know, turn to me to talk to me, and it turns out that I'm, like, not there on the couch or whatever. And I'm, like, you know, in the back room looking for a, a power strip to plug in an old lamp that we never use or something like that. She's like, what? Where are you? What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I, I didn't tell you that I was leaving. I didn't leave to plug in the lamp, but that's what I ended up doing. It's fine, right? So I, I'm not great at waiting, and that's nothing new. I remember being a kid. And, and like my parents, you know, like a relatively traditional Christmas wrap gifts in advance. And I just remember like once the gifts were wrapped, like I'm not exaggerating, like little me, I, I don't know how little me, but little me like just, okay, like can, can we unwrap something early? Like, no, you can't, what are you, it's like a month, it's, it's you know, whatever. No, you're not, like please. And, and, and I think I remember like shedding tears like please like literal tears like let me unwrap something early and and when they did like after saying no for weeks and they would be like okay here it'd be like pajamas or something it's like fine this isn't what I wanted like I wanted something else all right it was it was always a disappointment and mom dad I love you and thanks for telling me no for all those times um and yet in life like I'm not good at waiting and, and maybe you are but but in life we must wait and I mean in the really practical like if you ever try to call customer service about anything and, and you just wait and it's frustrating or, or traffic through this beautiful city in the morning or in the evening, like if your heart is not set on expecting that to be the case, it is, it's, it's difficult to wait. Or, or some of you, you go to work day after day and you just wait for lunchtime and then you just wait for five o'clock or whatever o'clock it is when you get to leave or, or maybe like the, the longer stretch of life you wait for that special someone or, or, or you wait to just like catch a break like I just can't catch a break and you're just waiting and you think like things are crazy but once we get around gosh once we get around that date or that thing then things and they just don't and we wait and we wait and we wait and, and 
man, it's difficult to wait for light to break through seasons of dark. And, and I know that we all find ourselves in those places. And so this season, this Advent as it is called, it's, is literally the season where waiting takes center stage. And there are a million church traditions, and, and it shows up in a lot of ways. And, and just to let you know, the way that we kind of deal with that is this little Advent wreath and candles, and churches have done that for a long time, and they do it in different ways, and sometimes they're very traditional, like you have your hope, joy, peace, love, I think, are the four themes that are very traditional, and, and again, you're not going to read the scriptures and find those things. One of my friends says, gosh, Advent's the toughest thing to preach, but, but remember that, that, the, that Jesus told us to remember his death, not his birth, which is like, oh, okay. That's true. And so sometimes we just go on and preach normal sermon series, and, and this time we kind of change things up a little bit. But <clears throat> just, just to let you know, as we engage and we kind of wind down prayers of promise, we've been looking at prayers in the Bible that point to a promise that's greater than us. And that's kind of like the intent behind Advent in the season that we're kind of swimming in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, says it this way. Our whole life is an Advent season of waiting for the last advent, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's what all this waiting and all this pointing and all this light and darkness, it's, it's, it's our whole life. All of this, all of life is built around two realities for us who behold this book to be true. The two realities are, are this. It's that, that Jesus the Savior has come, and, and it's that Jesus the Savior will come again. And if you find yourself, you call yourself a Christian, you find yourself in Christ but by his grace through faith in him, those two realities, they get to shape every part of everything that we do. That, that Jesus, the Savior of the world, he has come, and Jesus, the Savior of the world, will come again. The, the story of humanity is bookended by, by the light of creation and the light of new creation. And, and what we do is we live in the pages between that are we know admittedly filled with darkness and sin and brokenness and, and they're glittered with hope and there are promises and fulfillments and more promises and more fulfillments and, and at times glitters of hope. And the chapters along the way, they change the way that we interact with the chapters yet to come. That's true in life, experience, that's true in our life in Christ, and, and that kind of points us to the, the big idea of today is, is this promises fulfilled change the weight for promises yet to come. So today we meet Simeon. There is not much about him in the scripture other than this little passage that we read, and, and we're going to learn from his prayer, and it's essentially the context of this is is like what we do here, like a family dedication or, or baby dedications that you see. That, that's happening. The parents are bringing the, their baby, the, the firstborn male in the family, they would bring to the temple and they would offer sacrifices to turtle doves, right? Don't see anything about a partridge nor a pear tree, but they bring two turtle doves and, and they sacrifice in the temple on behalf of that baby. And so I just want to read this. I'm actually going to start in verse 22, Luke 2, verse 22, to kind of set things up a bit. 
And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. We read on in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And so what we see is, is Simeon seems to be like a, a good dude, and he's been waiting for something, and we see him pray, and then we don't see him die, but he talks about his death, and he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, and you're saying, what is that? And it's essentially, it's just, it's the comfort of Israel. It's, it's all of the hope and all of the promises that, that happen in the pages leading up to this point in this book. All of these pages pointed to what Simeon is interacting with on this day in the temple in this baby dedication ceremony. And so he's waiting for the comfort of Israel. And if we read on, what we see is that, that he's filled with the Spirit. And he's living with this promise that he would see the comfort. He had been visited by an angel, and the Lord had spoken to him and said, said that you will see the comfort of Israel before your death. You will see the Christ, the Messiah, the, the Savior that's coming to save the world and to save God's people, Israel. You will see him before your death. And so he's like, okay, we don't know how old he is. That, that's kind of what we know. And then we see in this passage, he does this, this Lion King lift, right, with, with Jesus. And he holds him up, and he prays this prayer. And that kind of sets the scene for us today. And, and, and today, uh, what we get to see is because the promise has come, because the promise has come to Simeon, then we wait differently. And there are two things that I want to tease out, just two points today. My goodness, it's incredible. We wait we wait peacefully in life and death, and we wait with salvation near and far. That's what we're looking at today. And so, so the first thing, because the promise has come, we wait peacefully in life and in death. And all that Simeon says to help us see this, he says, and now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. So he has beheld Jesus, he holds Jesus, he prays over Jesus, baby Jesus. And, and his prayer is, God, you're, you're now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And so he's demonstrating just a, a ton of faith in what God has spoken to him and the word that he has spoken to him according to his word and in the fact that this moment is actually that promise that God had given to him. And so I, I just want to pull out like kind of three powerful words that we see just from this one little line. The first one is peace. And, and obviously there are songs traditionally, Christmas songs, peace on earth, lots of stuff. But sometimes we miss the point uh, of, of what that's about. Like peace literally is, is harmony, freedom from worry. Two things, harmony, things like working together, and freedom from worry. And, and I don't know about you, and I don't know where this meets you, but I can't think of a greater hope in life than harmony. Like, you know, you know, the world is fractured, 
But that's not just some far off world on the internet. Like our world and, and the life that you and I get to live in, it just doesn't, like harmony, there are very few days when I lay my head on the pillow at night and I think, oh, how, was your, how was your day? I'd say, just harmony? Just everywhere. Just everything seemed, I don't think I, I've never said that, right? And, and when I think about it, like I'm not uh, quarrel, music stuff, whatever, but there, there is a reality when you hear like literally a harmony of voices and you're like, man, that thing, that like sounds so good. And, and it's just unified. Everybody doing their part. It's just working together. No one's like trying to cut against stuff. And so like that relational piece of that, oh man, that's like huge. And then, and then the freedom from worry, impossible. That's impo- like, I'm always worried. We're always, we're always thinking about the thing and, and what if I don't and, and all those things. And so when I just look at that word, it's like, gosh, like days are hard and relationships are difficult. And, and getting, just getting by is, is tough. And, and planning for the future is heavy. And, and deadlines and, and learning the plays and getting assignments done and, and taking care of, of body and, and health and, and just maintaining all the stuff that we might have. It's consuming heavy things and, and, and just daily worries of, of the grind of life. And then I, I, I hear him say, you let your servant depart in peace you let your servant depart with, with harmony and, and freedom from worry. Like, can you imagine being free from worry, confident and, and, and filled with hope that it will be okay no matter what? And then we're forced to say, well, define okay. And that's where it gets it's really tough. So, so peace, super powerful word. Another one, life, and we don't really see it explicitly. We don't see the word, but we see that all of his life was pointing to this moment. And in this moment, he's free to give up his life. And so life is technically uh, any system capable of performing functions such as eating, uh, metabolizing, excreting, breathing, words you didn't think you would hear today, see? Uh, breathing, moving, growing, reproducing, and responding to external stimuli. And you're like, oh, that sounds incredible. Life, oh my gosh. But that's not what's in, in focus here. And, and I remember from the time I was a kid, and, and probably even today, if I was sick for a week and I went to my parents, I guarantee one of them, would, they would say, hey, oh, you're back among the living? That's what they would say, right? It's a thing, right? Um, and I would be like, yeah, I'm feeling, you know, whatever. And so, like, what does that mean? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't not living, but I, you're back among, like, you know, like, I, I mean, the, the technical piece to this is, is the number of our days, sure. It's heartbeats and brainwaves and, and breaths in the literal, but we know that, that it's more than the sum of those things that gives us our life. It's what we're, we're shooting for. It's not merely heartbeats or the number of them, but, but meaningful heartbeats, moments of value, heartbeats with purpose. And here Simeon comes to the place where his life has enough value for him to give it up in peace. And the only thing that's changed is he beheld Jesus. Another word, so we have peace and life. The other word that he talks about is, is death. The, the fear that destroys peace through the course of life. 
It's, it's worst case scenario. It's, it's what we're always afraid of in the back of, you know, I hope they make it home okay, or is, is, is this person going to be, all those things, it's kind of like the, the background noise of life is I want to continue to live. It's, it's the worst of the worst. It's the ultimate comparison which makes bad days better. Well, like at least I'm not dead, or like I shoot out this text a thousand times a month, like are you, are you alive? Are you okay? You hanging in? You doing all right? Like, and, and it's like, it's the contrast, living and dead. So, so did you survive? The thing is, death is, is the end of something. It's very significant. It's ceasing to be in the sense that you've always been. It's the final act of this life for everyone. So it's, it's weighty. And Simeon, he ties these three weighted words together because he has seen the Christ, he has bore witness, and he's, he's beheld him literally in his hands. His life has met its ultimate purpose. And it turns out that, that all he was waiting for was to see Jesus. And he says literally in his prayer, Lord, I'm, I'm free to die now. Your promise has been fulfilled uh, according to your word, my life is complete. There's no higher achievement. There's nothing more that I can do. There's no greater gain. I've found peace in life and in death because I have embraced Jesus the Christ. In the, the New City Catechism, catechisms are used traditionally, question and answer to help teach biblical truth and there are probably bad catechisms that teach unbiblical truth, and there are some good ones. And the new city is, is pretty good, and, and one of the questions that our family has is, is held on to a lot, I think it's like one of the first ones in there, it's, it's what's your only hope in life and death? And the answer is that, that we are not our own and that we belong to God. And you might say, well, wow, you teaching five-year-olds that? That seems kind of dark because you're making them realize that Death is a part of life, and I would say, well, yeah. Like, if we don't have, if our theology can't handle pain and suffering, and, and certainly even death, then what hope do we have? So we get to put that in context, but what is our only hope in life and death? It's that, it's that we are not our own, and that we belong to the Lord. And what flows from Simeon's prayer is understanding of, of this great reality those in the temple, they, they probably would have looked on and thought, man, look at Simeon, that great dude. He's, he's holding Jesus. But Simeon knew the truth. He knew that it was Jesus who was holding him. And that changes everything. And it's that perspective which changes the way that we live and the way that we receive and the way that we long for things like peace in the way that we live, in the way that we die, the way that we approach death. Like he could live or die, and, and we can live and die here the same way with the peace that comes from a life satisfied by what's already happened, fulfilled, no longer thirsty for a drink that we can't have, no longer hungry for a meal that's out of reach, but full and satisfied, worries gone, knowing that our life is held in his hands. Our life is held in his plans. I mean, that is good news. A great Savior has come 
to rescue, to fulfill promises, and to make more promises. For us to hang our hope upon. His name is Jesus, and he comes to offer peace to all who turn to him and to all who believe. Now, we can make this life about lots of other things, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. We have a great Savior who has come, and we get to turn to him. We get to humble ourselves, lay down our life, and, and join eternal life by embracing his. That's, that's, that's it. That's what we get to do. Or as Judy the Elf, later quoted by Charlie Calvin in the Santa Claus, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. And, and Scripture actually speaks to that many times. Like, and we see Thomas who, who, who believed only after he saw and Jesus like subtly condemns him for that. He says, blessed are those who, who, who believe without seeing. And, and, and what this is trying to get us to see is that, that actually by the Spirit's work that, that awakens us so that our eyes might actually be able to believe. When we believe, then we can see. And, and what it has to do with this passage and this sermon in this room is, is when we believe, it changes everything that we see. It sets us proper. It, it anchors us. It anchors our time and our days and our perspective and, and, and the things that make good days and bad days. It changes us. When we believe, we get to put on lenses that look different than if we didn't believe this to be true. Living in peace, it's not about knowing when you'll die. That's not what this is about. It's, it's dying to self so that you might truly live. How can I not quote William Wallace? Braveheart. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. It, it isn't bypassing hardship. That's not what peace is. It's not, oh gosh, I'm in Christ, now life will just be easy. Like, because that's the life that Jesus modeled for us. That's, the, oh, well, just look at the apostles. Like, they had it, no, they didn't have it easy. And so it's not just about bypassing hardship or, or, or skirting around hard things or, or bypassing hard conversations or, or living a hard life. It isn't establishing comfort and, and career and all things just fall into place. It isn't, you know, having the right friends at the right time. All those are things, but peace in life and death is beholding the king who holds all things Together, beholding the king who brings comfort to the broken, to, to, that brings comfort to this, this broken world around us and, and brings comfort to broken me. That's what peace and life and death is. My friend wrote this for our Advent reading, Angie Dickin. She's written all of the Advent readings for us this year. Thanks, Angie, for doing that. She wrote this, as we read the story, the story of Simeon, we will hear his prayer as a declaration of remembrance and praise that daybreak has come, just as it was promised. Dawn is here with its revelatory light, and by it we will see our salvation in the glory of God and the promise of Christ. That's good news. The second thing we see is because the promise has come, we wait with salvation 
near and far. I want to start reading in verse 30. For my eyes have seen, my watch is detecting a workout. (laughs) For my eyes have seen your salvation. (laughs) My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now this is just unfair. I'll tell you why in a second. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As a preacher, like you just can't not overlook all of the peas and and just be thankful like I decided to to lean into content rather than alliteration in the points, right? You have uh, prepared in the presence of all the peoples, like seven words and three of them start with the same letter, and I didn't go that route today. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so what we see is, is with salvation near and far, he has eyes that, that he has, has been able to see salvation, and it's been prepared publicly in the presence of all the peoples, and this, this salvation is light, of revelation to the Gentiles. We'll talk about that in a second. And, and it's glory to God's people. Like that's, that's rich. Promises fulfilled change the weight for promises yet to come. And what Simeon is doing here is he, he prays the plans of God, which is kind of cool. He's just, he's just praying what God has told him to be true. And he's, he's just praying and thanking God for what has happened. The Spirit had spoken to him, and, and here he sees the mission of God on display in the face of this baby, the promised child. And in this baby, the world has found its Savior. And, and what's sweet is, it doesn't seem like everyone in the room knew that, but the Spirit had spoken to Simeon in some kind of unique special way and Simeon could almost like see all of life backwards he's probably holding this baby and it doesn't say anything about emotions or what's going on but you can imagine like tears rolling down his face because because he sees all that's happened to get humanity in their story with God to this point and it seems like Simeon sees the way forward and he doesn't know about the cross He doesn't know about the resurrection. He doesn't know about the ascension. He doesn't know about Christ ruling and reigning. He doesn't know about the ministry of this little baby as he would grow up and he would be a teacher to Israel and he would would be compassionate and he would show mercy and at the same time he would be the savior of the world. He doesn't know all of those things but but he knows the, the gist that this is a big deal that the savior has come. What a cool gift to our bro Simeon that the spirit gave him on that day. See, in every superhero movie, like, the masses are just third characters who who are simply incapable of saving themselves. And so you have, you know, cities full of citizens. Oh, help! They're just around. They're just waiting. They have no power in and of, that's what they sound like, right? You know it is. Like, oh, help me. Help, help. I'm in despair. You know, uh, I get you. It's fine. Um, the men are scared too, and you know all. Uh, there, there are people on a bus. They're just people on a bus, and and they're seemingly just incredibly insignificant, and yet they're what the whole storyline is always about. 
It's a couple people doing crazy stuff, and everyone else just sits there, and, and they just hope, right? It's the end of the world, and, and, and they're there just to kind of merely interact with that seen as passive characters, no matter the villain or the enemy, everyone knows that the only hope is the coming of a savior, a, a greater one. Salvation is outside of any normal person's hands. And the same is true at this family dedication. Simeon is, is given eyes to see long-awaited promises fulfilled, and, and the fulfillment changes how we wait for salvation for ourselves and, and everyone else. The Savior is in town, and he will change the role that everyone else in the city plays. The enemy, as we know, is, is sin, and the result is death without hope, and the result is life without hope. And we receive sin's work and our, our suffering, the things that happen around us, and we join sin's work in our sin. I remember in the early days of, of the village, like, my preaching, I, it was just very dark. And I remember having, it, when, we, when we were in another building, not in the YMCA, but the, the other one, the 333, it was literally dark, like there was barely any light, and we were in another basement, but it was, like, so when I think about those times, I think, man, that was dark, but I think it was also because the way that I engaged rich truth was just to double down on our sin, and I remember like week after week and month after month, like preaching in a way that it was just so heavy and like, you are terrible and we're all terrible, and it's, that's true, that, that is true, right? And I'm not backing away from that. But the sermon would be like 98 or 9% like you're terrible. And like a little bit of like, but there's hope, you know, um, too. But, but one thing that I got wrong was that every point of restoration or redemption in the scripture was about our sin and our contribution. And what I want us to know is, man, that, that is a lot of it. And a lot of the brokenness comes not just around us, but through us. But, but there's also suffering because of sin around us. And, and man, that changes stuff. And we get to know that we are sinners before a holy God, and we are sinners before one another, and we get to be honest about those things, but there are also things that happen because of sin's work around us, and that's the suffering that happens in us and, and to us because of sin's work that's not through us, and both of those things are significant. The emphasis of, of Simeon's words are on kind of the visibility of salvation. I just want you to look at who he's talking to in this prayer. It's rich. First, he's talking about himself. And he says, uh, I have seen salvation. Right? He's, he's, it's very personal. Like the Savior has come. Uh, the comfort of Israel is here. And so he beholds his place personally, and we, we have to do that. We must personally embrace the Savior, the coming of the Savior, and, and, and it can't just be, well, I grew up in a family that believed such, like, that's, that's, that's great, and what a grace, but at some point, you get to behold Jesus yourself. You have to do that, but then, then he goes, like, from very near to, like, as far as could be, and he says, he, he basically invites everyone. He says, the salvation is prepared publicly for, for all to see. And I don't think he's just saying, like, for everyone, all 17 of us in this room, or all 200, he's saying, 
This is happening on like public display, right? This is, this is a big deal. It's not a backroom deal to pay a backdoor ransom. That's not what's going on here. It's, it's everyone knows the price paid. He didn't know it, but, but we know everyone knows the price paid to save the world. And that price was the precious blood of a precious savior. That's on display for all to see. And then he, he points to the Gentiles, right? The, the non-religious folk of the day. They're non-Jewish, they're, they're not Christian, they're not uh, a Christian nation, they're not, they're not uh, a Jewish nation, they're not God's people in any specific way. But he says they have, they have a light of revelation. What he's saying is this is not just for insiders. This is for those outside of this, outside of traditions, outside of uh, historically God's people, outside of families that just grew up Walking with Jesus. It's outside of that. Salvation is wide. And then he says to God's people, the Jews at the time, or to us, the church, the people of Israel, revealed for God's glory. And so he's saying the salvation has come for glory. And he's saying there's light on display. And because of that, we get to be children of light, not because of the light that comes from inside of us, but because of, of him who takes residence in us, who shines bright through us. Because it's a public event, and if you read just a, a chapter before this, or you read the other Gospels about the early days of, of the life of Jesus, and if you don't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all kind of tell the beginning of Jesus, the beginning of his kingdom in a different way. And so if you have time this week, that's a great little Advent deal just read the first few chapters of the Gospels, and they, and they just have different lenses in the way that they describe that. But we see kings and wise men come to see him, and shepherds and officials and just common folk and, and angels. All these people are, are, are coming to see him in, in a time when without TikTok. Like, how did they know? How did they know anything? All were aware of the significance, of the insignificance of a baby born in a barn. It changes the nature of his saving work. That all of the hope and all of the promises, they had envisioned themselves, they, they had envisioned it going a certain way. That he would be a political ruler and he would rule with purple garments. But he's born in a trumble down stable. He's born in, in lowly estate, and that sets up the, the dichotomy of the kingdom, that he's the king of all kings, and against him none can stand. And he's humble because he has nothing to prove. There are patterns gleaned even about the, the early days of Jesus that reveal patterns to come. And, and I will tell you this, Peace comes through all of these things being true. God for us, gosh, if that's true, then, then who can be against me? But when you can live life as if you have nothing to prove, so help me, it changes everything. It's why teenage years are so tough, because you just think that you have to prove stuff. 
to all the people around you. And if you don't, then and, and any, anyone who's lived life a little bit and, and, and stopped giving a rip about public opinion so much, there's just like a level of ease that comes with that. And so, you know, a parent tells a child like, hey, like you don't have to care so much about what they think of you. It's, it's peace that comes from having nothing to prove. And Jesus, the king of all kings, the savior of, of the whole entire planet, he came not in a royal line, as it were. I mean, he came in, in humble means. His life probably looked a little bit like, like this. He had nothing to prove. And because all can see this, because it's, it's public, the Savior's, the Savior's work is on display, then, then we actively wait for his return to make all things new. He has come and he will come. I just want you to think about this. If that's true, if he came publicly and, 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 and all could see that, then, then there are three things that it changes about us. One, we get to be open about our sin. Who's, who's ready to do that? If, if it's true what we sing about, it's true what we read in this book, you have nothing to prove. We get to lay it down. We get to be open, not recklessly. We're not highlighting our sin as if it's like, hey, look at me. God's grace is so big because I'm such a terrible human. Like, look, that's like the Bible talks about that as well. But his grace is so deep. That in the richness of, of life, in community, in relationships, we get to be open. And my encouragement is that if you don't have someone that you can talk to about the broken parts, not just complain about your coworker every day. I know you have that person in your life. But, but you can like talk openly about the stuff going on inside of you. Man, I encourage you to, to make that a priority. Secondly, we get to be diligent about our sin's burial. It isn't just that we raise the flag of our sin and we say, look at it, isn't it great? That's not what we do. Because Jesus died and he was buried. He was dead, dead, dead. He was buried with your sin if you call him Lord. And when he got out of the tomb, he wasn't carrying your sin anymore. What does that mean? It means that, that we are a new creation and we get to live that way. We get to engage in the battle to slay our sin. We get to remember who we already are in him. We get to reflect and confront it and submit it to the Lord. And we get to be eager to shine light on the Savior. We get to live as if, as if he has come, as if he did live a perfect life where we could not, as if he did die a death in our place to pay a debt that he had not to pay. And he did resurrect and bust out of the tomb. And he does sit at the right hand of the Father right now, pleading on your behalf. What if that's true? 
It means we get to live as if he will come again. It means that our life and our hopes and our actions and our words get to sing that song, not the song of despair. So when we frame our our waiting as light breaking the dark, it's, it's easy to miss like the expectations as if we think that life is just going to be perfect. And there's this picture here that just... That's the way that life feels. <laughs> I, I promise. If there was a mom around, that's not how she drew it up, right? Like, that tears of joy, right? I don't think that's what that means. <laughs> See, the remaining verses in this passage, they're about Simeon, he goes on to, to tell of the division that Jesus will bring. What? What about the peace stuff? And like, I thought it was, no, he, he goes on and he, he tells about the division that Jesus will bring. And he says the arrogant will be toppled and the humble will be lifted and Jesus will be opposed. And he gives bitter words to Mary. And he says that, that Mary, you will face deep sorrow by the sword. He is the Savior, and He is your Son, and He's going to have a rough go of it, and you will shed tears by the sword against our Savior. Like, this isn't rainbows and lollipops. That's not the invitation. That's not the advent. That's, that's not what, when, I, when I'm saying, oh, let it change the way that we wait, it's not naive smiles. It's just, in the core of who we are, we know that, that the days are hard, but this changes everything, that salvation is near, and for some of you, you need to come to a place personally where you say, you know what, I, w- I would acknowledge all the things, but salvation is near, and I want that to be in me. I want this Savior, this hero, to be working on my behalf, not against me. And we see that salvation is far for all who might listen and turn and embrace the salvation of this Savior. Simeon heard God's word, the promise that he'd seen the Christ before he died. He had assurance and he trusted and he trusted what was yet to come and he didn't know the means but he knew the ends that this baby Jesus would save his people. And and we today, we look back at the promise fulfilled. As we look further still, At his return to come. I'm not good at waiting. I'm bad at waiting. But when I get it right, it means that I can endure and I can celebrate. I'm firmly planted. I'm trusting. I can be patient and I can be joyful and I can be loving and I can be confident and I can find comfort in my best day, in my very worst day. So a question for you as the band comes up. How, how do you wait? Imagine your life is just in a line and, and maybe at the end of that line when you get there, like Jesus returns. Maybe that's it. Or maybe you just get to a line where you're bringing things in and you're trying to return them. I, I don't know. But just imagine the, the line. Like are you faithlessly waiting? Because you know that it's true. You know that one thing's all, You know that one day all things will be made new. Does that change the way that you wake up tomorrow? 
Is it just faithless waiting? Is it dreadful? Is it passive? You know all the things that happened before and you know some of the things that are yet to come. It doesn't change your day. I get it. It's just passive. Is it a hope and a prayer? Eh, I hope that's it. Or is it, is it boldly believing and letting the promises fulfilled and the promises yet to come shape everything about everything by his grace for his glory? And that's, that's where I want to sit today. And I want to sit there with you today. Again, to quote uh, a friend, we get to rejoice and pray alongside Simeon as people waiting for an eternal light, not knowing when it will come, yet not growing weary in our anticipation of seeing our Savior come again. Now we get to stand up. Right? We can respond as the band sings. We can sit right where you are if you want. You can pray right where you are. There's a prayer bench over there. There's somebody by that red tree would love to pray with you about anything at all. Right? For those who are in Christ, whether you're a member here or not, this table is open and it's an invitation to share a meal with the Lord and, and with this church community. It, it, is, uh, it is bread and wine. Right? It's, it's representative of, of Jesus' body that was broken, his blood that was spilled, and, and we're instructed in Scripture not to take that in an unworthy manner. And so I encourage you to reflect inside of you, repent, believe. And if you've never done that in your life, please talk to someone. And if you're uncomfortable doing that, just fill out a Connect card, and someone will follow up with you this week. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your grace. And this little snippet that just could easily be insignificant. This little interaction between Simeon and the temple and Jesus. Would you remind us of, of all things true? Would you let us believe all things true? Would you let us celebrate everything that you have done? Your life and your death and your burial and your resurrection and your ascension. And would you let us look ahead and embrace all things true yet to come. Why don't you let it change the way that we live, even today. In Jesus' name.